0: We're in movement and Multiplication. We're looking at getting lessons from the early church, from the book of Acts. And we're going to start in uh, Acts chapter 13, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses. I'm going to read them out, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit this morning. There's some exciting things that I want to share with you. So, here we go. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them. Deborah gave us a great message last week on being called and being set apart. If you missed that, then I would encourage you to pick up the podcast and have a listen to it. Uh, The two of them then, that's Saul and Barnabas, were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. That's actually uh, John Mark, who was eventually to go on to write the Gospel of Mark. Uh, so that's their, he was there as their assistant. Um, they travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamas, the sorcerer, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul. This is, again, this is the moment in Scripture where the name changes from Saul to Paul. Mostly in Scripture, when somebody's name's changed, it's because God Has changed it. God said, no, no, you've got a calling, so I'm going to give you a new name in line with your calling. But actually that's not what happened in this case. This was Paul himself who wanted to change his own name. He knew he was called to the Gentiles. And we know how Paul felt about this. He said, you know, I'm going to do everything I can by all means to try and save as many as I can. And so he changed his name from a Jewish name Saul and took on the Roman name or used his Roman name uh, Paul. So this is what happened at that point. So Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamas and said, "You are a child of the devil." And it was interesting. Obviously, he was, his name was—they oh, called him Bar Jesus, which means son of Jesus or son of salvation. He's saying, "No, no, you're not a son of Jesus. You're a son of the devil." And he turned that right around. He said, "You're an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery." Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So a couple of years earlier Um, in chapter 11 of the book of Acts, we know that the church in Jerusalem was being heavily persecuted and so they scattered. And one of the places that they scattered to was Antioch. And they they started a church in Antioch and they put Barnabas as one of the leaders of this church. And Barnabas immediately went to Tarsus and fetched Saul. He knew Saul and, and and. I guess he saw, saw ability there, and brought him back with him to Antioch. And the two of them, along with some others, had been leading this church in Antioch really successfully. This church is growing. In fact, in chapter eleven, it says um, something like a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So they're doing a good work. It's all going along, rolling along nicely. But now, God says, it's time for change. It's time for movement. And that's the title of my message today: is a time for movement. And this is God's pattern, I think, for his church. The church is a dynamic entity. It lives and it breathes on movement. And this is where we are. Yeah, come on. This is where we are right now as a local church. Um, we're in exciting times. Last week, uh, Mark shared a little bit just before Deborah got up to speak. She, he shared about kind of all the decisions that are being made at the moment and the place we're at, we're in a healthy place. We're like the Antioch church. It's all going well. We're growing and we're healthy. But in order to stay healthy and growing, we've got to change. We need movement. We don't want to be and we can't be a monument. We want to be a movement, not a monument. Monuments, you see, they spend their time getting old and decaying. Movements are dynamically changing shape and responding to um, the environment around them. Monuments are static and they're stuck. Movements are exciting and dynamic. Monuments, they just gradually work themselves into a state of disrepair. Movements are always on the lookout for new opportunities and paying attention to uh, what we call the rhema, Word of God. Rhema, word of God, is just essentially uh, the word of God that is appropriate for the time that we're in, for the here and now. It's a timely word, an opportune word. And that's what we want to be. We want to be responding to the rhema, word of God. We need to embrace movement. We can't be a monument. When I was very young, uh, my family and I, we attended a a traditional church um, up until... Uh, I was six years old when we got kicked out of this church. I don't think it was all my fault. Um, but anyway, a few years ago, I did a little bit of research. I went online and looked at the history of this, that church that we were in just to see what happened. And it was really fascinating. Uh, there were a few kind of figures and facts. It said the church had been founded in February of 19, uh, sorry, 1792. And uh, the actual building was built in 1811. And in 1840, they opened a, a Sunday school. And by 1925, there were 262 children on the roll of their Sunday school wow. and uh, over 350 weekly attending as a congregation. So a thriving, dynamic movement of a church. And, um, and then in the late uh, 70s, 1979, my parents felt that the rhema word of God for them was telling them to explore a deeper relationship with God by um, kind of uh, focusing on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and and who the Holy Spirit was and uh, it really opened their hearts to what God was doing actually I think countrywide at that time uh, in terms of the Holy Spirit's power. Now the leadership of that church didn't want to go there and they and they uh, said "No, no no you can't do that Here, you're going to have to leave. And so my family and some other families had to leave that church in 1979. And the history carried on, and it said um, the 1980s saw the church dwindling. By 1987, there were only seven Sunday school children, and it was disbanded. And in the 1990s, the church fabric was decaying, and services began to be held in the schoolroom. The church, with only eight members present at the final meeting, closed its doors, in February 1994. Man, that's bad. That's what happens when you become a monument, when you stop being a movement, when you stop responding to God's rhema word. And it's easy to do, you know. It's easy, to, it's easy to look and say, "Oh, look how look how well we're doing! Look how healthy we're doing!" It's the natural instinct to say, "Let's protect what we've got. Let's just let's just hunker down. Let's you know, this is this is all going so well. Why would we want to change anything? It's all going brilliantly. Let's just stay as we are because it's obviously working." And there's a natural pull to become a monument, but we know monuments decay. Monuments decay, and they eventually they crumble the church of christ is called to be a movement yes. we as a church we need to be a movement which means when when god gives the call we you know gives the call to movement we obey that call and then the holy spirit will empower that call yeah. we can be sure of it and those are my three points today god will give the call to movement we need to then obey the call to movement and the holy spirit will empower that call uh, to accomplish all that God desires, so let's go back to our passage. There's a few things I want to bring out that uh, I think is going to help us as we seek to be this movement. So Saul and Barnabas, they're co-leading uh, with uh, three others. This successful church, they're part of a dream team of teachers and prophets. Five of them listed, uh, we saw on the uh, passage there. And this is like an A-team. This is so diverse. They've got a guy who brought up with Herod, so kind of a a rich and influential guy. They've got Barnabas, who was from Cyprus. They've got Lucius, who's from Cyrene. And they've got Saul, who's this Jewish academic theologian guy, all leading this church, and it's going well. It's going brilliantly. And they've got this meeting together where they're they're worshipping, and they're praying, and they're fasted, and... One of them, yeah, I don't know how it went, but you imagine one of them saying, I get a sense that God's calling us to movement. A couple of us need to go out and reach the Gentiles. And then they're in the discussion going, yeah, that's a great idea. Maybe, maybe Lucius, maybe Manaeans available, as long as it's not Saul and Barnabas. They're, the, they're our main guys. It's Saul and Barnabas, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to send Saul and Barnabas to go and reach the Gentiles, that would have been a difficult leadership decision, but they heard from God, and they knew it was the right thing to do. And this is the launch of Paul's very first official missionary journey. In That may well even be the first intentional missionary journey to the Gentiles. Before then, churches had gone out because of persecution, they'd been scattered, but now intentionally going out. And... Obviously, Saul and Barnabas have no idea what they're heading into. They just don't know. You see, when God gives a call, he doesn't tell you what it's all going to look like. Yes. He doesn't give you the end picture. Sure. He just gives you the next step. Yeah. He says, this is the step you need to take. Yeah. And trust me for the rest, this is what's called a step of faith. This is a step of faith. And in... In my own life, that's exactly what I've seen. Whenever uh, there's been a big decision to make, I look at every major decision, every major change, when I've heard from God and responded to that word, I haven't been able to see what the end result is, um, just what the first step is, whether it's to do with applying for a job or leaving for a job or going to university or a meeting with somebody or um, asking through at the student union disco 25 years ago to come and dance with me. If I'd known now and known then what I know now, would I have done it? Absolutely, I would. <laughs> the question is, would she have done it? <laughs> so the call comes in. Saul and Barnabas, you're called to leave this healthy church and you're called to uh, travel into unknown, uncharted waters. And I had this a uh, story of a boy funny story who sees a frog on the on the pavement and he picks up the frog and he puts it in his pocket and the frog jumps out of his pocket and lands on his shoulder and says to the boy if you give me a kiss i'll turn into a beautiful princess and the boy kind of looks around and takes the frog and puts it back in his pocket and again the frog jumps out and lands on his shoulder and says if you give me a kiss I'm going to turn into a beautiful princess. And the boy, a bit shocked, gets the frog and puts it back in his pocket again and closes the flap. Anyway, the frog works his way out of the pocket and again goes on his shoulder and says, I don't think you heard me. If you kiss me right now, I am going to turn into a beautiful princess. And the boy looks at the frog and he says, well, a beautiful princess is great, but it's not as good as a talking frog. <laughs> It's important to know. Oh, you're not going to hear it. Oh, it's important to know what's important. It's important for us to know what's good, and it's not always the same as what society will tell us is good. And you might look at our church and say, "Yeah, this is a beautiful princess," but actually, God's calling us to get a talking frog. Well, the analogy does it work? Does it work? That far? I don't know. You know what I mean? It's you know, there's there's something better. If God's calling us to something, to change, there's something better. And we need to know, we need to have confidence that if God's calling us, if we're obedient, then um, God's calling the shot, it's going to be a better thing. And in this instance, in the church in Antioch, we know it was God calling the shots. That yes, the church was the ones, and these leaders sent Saul and Barnabas out. But the scripture makes it really clear and says... Um, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the next verse, just in case there's any doubt, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who sent them. And Paul was so fully aware about God's role in his life and in his his mission. Um, When he's writing to to the church of the Galatians, he says this, at the very beginning, he says, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ. So it's God who gives the call to movement. That's the first thing. The second thing is um, that we need to obey that call. It's all very well hearing the call. Then the decision comes, we need to obey it. And the Holy Spirit is talking to us so clearly right now. And I think if we were to hear an audible voice, that voice would say, yes, yes you're doing the right things, you've been doing the right things, and that's great, but the things you're doing now are not the right things for a year down the line. They're not the right things for six months or even three months down the line. I'm calling you to be dynamic, to be changing, to be a movement. It's time for movement. And the same is true for us personally as well, as well as our, as a church, but personally, if we stop moving, if we stop listening, if we stop responding to that rhema word in our life, we're gonna miss, we're gonna miss bringing heaven to earth. And we're gonna go backwards. I've done it. I know what that's like. There have been times when I've heard the word of God and I've obeyed him and, and you look back and go, oh thank goodness. And there have been times when I've heard God speak and I've shared it in the past and I haven't done what I know is the right thing to do. And I have nothing, had nothing but regret about that. And of course, God can work things out and he's a gracious God. But I don't want to do that. I want to hear his voice and I want to respond, both for my life and in this church. Does the plan, does the call look difficult? Well, yes, it usually is. It usually is a hard thing. When God calls us, when he sets us apart, you see, God has seen a, a future reality. God has seen it. He's already seen that future reality that he wants us to get to. But there's also a journey and a process for us to get from here to there. And that journey is just as, if not even more important often than the destination. And that journey is where we grow. It's where we put on spiritual muscle. It's where we get strong. It's where our character is shaped and refined. And those tough things and those difficult circumstances we face are the gym in where where we put on that spiritual muscle. There's a, um, there's a poem that I know that you all know, called Footprints. You all know that poem, Footprints? Um, I'm about to kill that holy cow, okay, I'm so sorry, okay, we all love that poem, but I think for the sake of truth, there's a few things I want to talk to you about that poem. Okay, so we all know how it goes. One night I dreamed a dream and I saw across the sand there were two footprints and it was my footprints and it was the Lord's footprints, w- w- footprints walking side by side. And then I looked and at different points in my life, usually at the difficult times in my life, I saw there was only one set of footprints. And so I sp- speak to God and I say, God, why is it that um, when I had the most difficult times in my life, you told me you wouldn't leave me. Why is it there's only one set of footprints there? And then we know that in the poem, God responds and says, you know, my child, you know, I won't ever leave you. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then we were hopping. No, that's not what it says. No, No, that's not what it says. That's not it. No, it says, it was then I carried you. We know that, right? But actually, I want to question that. Because being carried is such a passive thing. And you know what, I think God is there. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to leave us at all. But he's there and he's standing in front of us at those difficult times. And He's saying, come on. I've put everything in you that you need to get through this point. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That's what he's saying to you. He's saying, uh, you know, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. He's saying nothing's going to separate you from my love, I'm not always going to carry you, because I want you to grow. And maybe if I was writing that poem, maybe I'd say, look back at those footprints, just after those difficult times, look how much deeper your footprints are, because you've been putting on spiritual muscle, you've been growing, your character has been shaped in those difficult times. I think that's what I would say if I was writing that poem. um, and I think, really, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means you're putting on spiritual muscle. And we know you don't put on spiritual muscle without resistance. You don't put on any muscle without resistance. I was at the gym this morning at 5.30. Come on, no, no. Six a- yeah, come on, there we go. And I was doing weights, and I was thinking about this, saying, yes, we only put on muscle when there's resistance. If I would put it on the first level, on level one, that's not going to do anything. I'd put it on level eight. Okay? And I'm working it. And I'm working it because I want to put on muscle. And we put on spiritual muscle when there's resistance. And that's how we become disciples of Jesus. Another quick illustration. In the book of two kings, there are, um, we see a, a passage that talks about three kings, the kings of Edom, Judah, and Israel. They get together a war against the king of Moab. And uh, the three kings and their armies come together. And it says they're marching, marching for seven days. And they're marching around this valley and they run out of water. So there's no water left for the army or for the animals. And they think we're going to get defeated because we've run out of water here. What's going to happen? We need to hear from God. So they call Elisha, and they say, Elisha, you need to give us a word from God. Elisha was the prophet then. And Elisha says, yeah, uh, fetch me a, a harpist. Okay, well, we'll get a harpist there, and the harpist starts playing, because this is exactly what Deborah talked about last week. We create an environment to hear the word of God, and worship is a great environment to hear the word of God. And so Elisha gets the harpist playing, and he hears from God, and this is, um, this is what it... Um, oh, there's my footprints. Um... This is what uh, he says. Then said, God's word, dig ditches all over this valley. Here's what will happen. You won't hear the wind, you won't see the rain, but this valley is going to fill up with water and your army and your animals will drink their fill. This is easy for God to do. So they've prayed, they've worshipped, they've heard from God, but now these three kings, they have a decision to make. And again, this is a difficult leadership Decision. Do they get their tired, worn out, hungry and thirsty soldiers to start digging ditches? Man, that just seems to go against everything. You think they oh you need to rest, but no, they're saying dig ditches. Why are we digging ditches? Doesn't that there's any rain? They're saying dig the ditches. Digging ditches is hard. Digging ditches takes effort. If you've ever dug a ditch, it's not an easy thing at all. It makes you sweaty. It uses up all your energy to dig a ditch, particularly when you don't know why you're doing it, or you can't see um, the end. But we know that God is a God who fills spaces. If we dig the ditches, he will bring water to fill them. Interestingly, it says you won't see the rain. That's because I think at this point, it's already rained. Far to the west, it's already rained, and the water, the flood, is already on its way to meet them. It's already on its way to the valley. And if they don't dig the ditches, when that water hits the valley, that water is just going to disperse. It's not going to be any use at all. And this is where the church in Antioch is. It's all going well, but there's a difficult leadership decision to make. We've got to respond. We need to send our best two guys out to reach the Gentiles. Is it going to have an impact on where we are? It might do, but we've got to trust God. God's making the call. Digging ditches is hard work. And I think this is where we are as a church as well. God is asking us to dig ditches. God is asking us to prepare the ground for what he is sending us. Mark last week spoke about, you know, we're talking about going to three services because mostly our church services are filled to capacity, And if God is going to send more water, which I I am convinced he is doing, we have got to create space for that water to come in. We've got to create space. We've got to dig ditches. Digging ditches is difficult. But if we are a movement, we've got to be willing to dig ditches to make those difficult calls. And, you know, we're going to do our best as as a team. We're looking at how we can do this without burning people out, without killing anyone. And, you know, we want to we make this work. Um, but there's a hard, there's hard work involved and we need to step up. This is God's word to us as a church. God is a space-filling job, God. And so our job is to make space for him and then see what he will do with it. So God, he gives the call and it's our job to obey the call. And finally, the Holy Spirit will empower that call. So Saul and Barnabas, they're sent out. How did they know where to go? How did they know, you know, sent out, okay, we've got the whole world to go to, where are we going to go? Well, they started off where they knew. Yes. They started off, in, it said they went to Cyprus, which was Barnabas' stomping ground, it's where he grew up. And it says they start off in the Jewish synagogue. So we know they're called to the Gentiles, but they start off in a community that they know about, in a country that they're familiar with. They start off where they know. And um, God will open doors, and did open doors to the Gentiles after that. And I think that's the message for us as well. It's our mission as disciples of Jesus to reach people outside the church, and to reach as many people as we can. And the best place to start that is where you are. It's where you know. And you know, at the moment, we're looking into our, um, making changes to our small group strategy. And it's fantastic hearing Juliet talking about um, kind of mental well-being projects. Um, But we want these uh, new small groups to be outward-focused and also to be um, uh, small groups set up around things that you're passionate about and things that your friends, your circle of friends outside of church is passionate about. So if that means starting a, a football uh, club or a weights club or a fitness club or a, or a crocheting club or a, uh, a mental well-being music club fantastic fantastic start that invite other people in the church to join you and then look outwards and invite people outside the church to join you as well that's what I want our small group structure to look like as we go forward being open being outward, outward looking where's the area that you know That's the question to ask yourself. What do you know? Where are you at right now? Where where is your touch point for the community? So God looks down at the earth and he sees the governor, Sergius Paulus, and he sees that he's got an open heart. He sees that man down there. He's ready to hear wisdom. But at the moment, all he's getting is this other guy telling him things that aren't true. The name Elamas, the sorcerer, actually means know-it-all. The guy who knows everything. He tries to convince, like, I know everything. And this is what Mark was talking about this morning, how we feel like we can know, know enough, but actually without the Holy Spirit, without God involved. When you compare world knowledge to godly knowledge, it's just shallow and it's false and it's wrong. And so Sergius Paulus thinks he had this guy giving him knowledge but he wasn't. He was filling him with darkness, filling him with, with lies. And so God saw him, and he saw Saul and Barnabas, who had a heart to reach the Gentiles. They think, if I just bring that to there, something is going to happen. And that will change probably the whole island of Cyprus, because he's the governor. And so he brings Saul and Barnabas to him, and obviously we read what happened. I'm going to move and skip a little bit. Um, I heard a funny story about a, um, an Amish man. You know, what the, the Amish are a group of people who um, uh, you know, they uh, shun technology and modern technology. They live in a very simple way, so horse and cart, simple clothes. You know, they don't go for kind of the gadgets or anything. This Amish man and his son walk into a modern hotel and they're looking around and everything just looks so amazing and foreign to them. And they look over at the far wall and suddenly the wall opens. And then the wall closes again and they've never seen an elevator, they don't know what that is. So again they keep watching and the wall opens and this old lady with no hair and big thick ring glasses, she she hobbles up and she walks in to the wall and the wall closes behind her. And they watch as the numbers above the wall go up to the number 20. And then they watch as the numbers come back down again. And then the wall opens and this tall, beautiful, dark, Lady walks out and saunters past them. And the boy says to his dad, Dad, what is that? And the dad says, I have no idea, but go and fetch your mother. <laughs> and we know that having, having some knowledge, having worldly knowledge, is a bit like that. It's, a bit, it's, it's not understanding the full picture. And this guy, Sergius Paulus, he was given false Knowledge. He didn't understand what he was seeing, but his heart was open. He wanted a word from God, so he invites uh, Saul and Paul, Paul and Barnabas to come to him uh, to speak to him truth. And uh, the governor wants to understand. And 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 fantastically, uh, immediately the scriptures put it into the right context. Uh, I'm just going to go forward a little bit. It says Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, and looking him straight in the eye. So looking at the sorcerer, saying, "You." bag of wind, you parody of a devil, Why you stay up nights inventing schemes to cheat people out of God, but now you've come up against God himself and your game is up. You're about to go blind. So the knowledge that they thought he had was wrong, and it was only when you put it in the light of God that actually you realise that the knowledge is worth nothing. Can we just get the band up? Shagan? would you mind just coming up? So once again... The confidence that Paul has comes from the Holy Spirit. It's em- empowered by the Holy Spirit. He is able to look at the problem straight in the eye because he's full, full of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's doing the work in him. And we see the very, very first miracle of the very, very first mission take place and, this, and, and the sorcerer becomes uh, blind and can't see. And when the result of that is the best miracle of all. It says the governor becomes a believer. And there's fruit from it because God made the call Saul and Barnabas obeyed the call the Holy Spirit was right in it from the start and empowered the call so what does it mean for us then when God calls us to movement we need to be ready we need to be ready to obey his call this is true for us as a church but it's also true for us on a personal level and as a body of believers we are We're running excitedly into the movement that God's preparing for us. We are I am so excited by what God's doing. Listening to all the things that are going on right now and in the coming months, it is so exciting. But at the same time, I have got to be prepared to obey the hard, sometimes the difficult call to movement that is needed. And I would encourage you to do the same. I would encourage all of us to be listening to God listening to God's rhema word for you. You know, God's God's word is is a dynamic thing. And the word that he gave you a year ago uh, for your life, actually, there might be a different word that he wants to tell you right now. So actually, there's a change of direction. This is a defining moment for you. And there's something even better that you don't know about that he's calling you to right now. And then I would encourage you to respond with the words of, Uh, Isaiah here am I send me here am I I'm ready to dig that ditch God here am I I'm ready to move I want to be a movement I don't want to become a monument I don't want this church to become a monument I want us to be a movement we all have this call of God on our lives we need to be obedient where do we start? we start right where we are we listen for God's call we obey his call, and we let the Holy Spirit empower us to complete it. Amen.